0: All right, so we are in week three of a series called Habits of Holiness. And really, what we're doing, uh, if you've missed any of it, you can go back online and catch up with us. Please do that. We want you to feel a part of of what we're doing week in and week out. Um, And we are in week three. Uh, We're talking about habits of holiness that we as Christian people are called to practice not for salvation, not for righteousness but because God has already saved us and already declared us righteous before his eyes. And nothing will ever change that for those in Christ. So we call, we we practice these habits of holiness so we would become more like God. We become more, more like image bearers of him. We would grow in our holiness and we would actually be more uh, purpose-filled, happy people on the face of the earth. Like that's where, we're, that's where we want to all be. It is practicing habits of holiness that will find that place. All right. So last week, uh, we began to talk about the habit of worship. If we could be a people that would start to habitually practice personal worship, familial worship, and then communal worship here on Sunday— we would grow in the holiness of God. We would become more like him, and we would find our greatest joy in those things. Today, we're going to move and transition into the habit of Bible study. Uh, Now, most of us would agree here today that we all should go read our Bibles more. So I want to let you know out of the gate, my hope is to go kind of beyond that. That, that's That's kind of a given here. Um, most of you might dabble in your Bible. Uh, some, of you, some of you may not own a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please come see me afterwards. We'll give you one. Uh, but I think for many, it's a, there's a dabbling of the Scriptures, a reading in that. Uh, some read to uh, completion, just to say that they did it, kind of mark it off the list. Uh, and while others regularly study the Scriptures, they have a healthy appetite, uh, thirst, thirst, for the Word, it gives them life. It is the compass to which directs all of their thoughts and actions in life. Uh, so praise God. But but the point for all of us is, is none of us ever graduate from Bible University. Uh, we want to take that idea of reading the Scripture today specifically and move into a place where we would uh, call you to a deeper study of the Bible. All right? There's a growing... Uh, movement or, or our mindset today um, of this idea of experiencing God. Like that the, there's these multiple forms of ways that I can experience God. And yes, there's ways you can experience God through general revelation. I can walk out in the morning. I see the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the planets, the creation. And yes, there's a general revelation of who God is. Uh, but the primary way, to experience God is not through a sign in the clouds, a chirping bird outside my window, or a picture of the, the Virgin Mary in my Cinnabon, right? That's not, that's not how we experience God. We experience God primarily through the personal revelation of himself through the scriptures. All right? So as we talk about that, I think there's two things that come to mind Two great issues, really, uh, when it comes to the Bible. I think the first one is just this it's uselessness, meaning uh, you just don't do it. There's just no reading of the scriptures, there's no studying of the scriptures, uh, there's no way that, even if you read your Bible, but you don't read it in a way that, that impacts your life, your mind, your thoughts, your actions, that's really the same thing as not reading it at all, because that's not the intention. Of reading it. But uselessness, literally having the Bible and not using it, is one of the great errors that we engage in. The Bible continually is, as it's shown in years and years and years, it is the number one best selling book worldwide, but it's also the most neglected. While we are a people who still affirm the authority and trustworthiness of the scriptures, Uh, It is still not a book that is well-known by the average Christian. So what are the reasons? Why don't people read their Bibles at all? Why don't they study their Bibles at all? Why is it useless to some people? Uh, The number one reason would be is it's just simply not important. It's boring. Uh, It's not vital to me. So therefore, I don't read the Bible because we will give our attention over to things that are important, right? Things that are not important, we tend to check out, disengage, and when view them as not vital to our life, right? Think about you uh, if you've ever gotten onto a flight, you've flown on an airplane before. Um, and you get, on, you get on the airplane, you're sitting down, you get seated, you get all your stuff up, and I'll see you sit down, and the plane begins to get ready for takeoff, and it gets out on the runway, it begins to go, almost getting ready to launch, and then the flight attendant gets up and begins to walk through instructions on how to not die in case the plane goes down. I mean, here's what to do. Here's what not to do. If you want to live, this is what you'll do. And imagine the thought of the flight attendant as they're walking through this vital information. And most people are scrolling through their phones. They're getting their neck pillows situated, waiting for the peanuts to come. They're only worried about their own personal comfort. Can you just get this over with, right? Well, if that plane should happen to go down... And that flight attendant gets back up to give instructions. You better believe everyone's paying attention at this moment. There is vital information of life and death that is now relevant. And unfortunately, sadly, uh, there are people that are on this, this flight of life, right? And they're, they're just going through life. They are more concerned about their personal comfort in this world, their peanuts, their pillows. And they are not interested And the urgency, the vitality of life and death, instruction and also invitation that is contained in this word. And I would say this. This is a true telling thing. If you are someone who doesn't see the Bible as important or it's boring to you and you do not see the urgency that it's in it, I would simply tell you, you don't know Jesus. And I say that in a way that I want you to know Jesus you're missing something. There's something there and there's deadness that still remains. You need to cry out to Jesus, save you. Because those who God saves, he creates appetite. He creates thirst and desire for his word. It's not perfection. It's not a every day you just get up and immediately start reading. But the desire is there. The thirst is there. The hunger is there. So there's the greatest, I think, greatest error of the Bible is just simple uselessness, right? Now, let me move to the next, the next great error, the, greatest thing that we, the next second greatest thing that we do um, is this, is that people have a desire uh, to read, that appetite, but it is an intimidating book for them. They look at the size, the volume, the words, the complexity, and say, that's just too much. I cannot even believe. And to un- understand, to begin to approach and engage that Bible, it's just too much too much. That's, a, that, that's for the pastors. It's for the theologians, the seminary students, the clergy, the professionals. God's not called me to do those things. Well, God's not called you to be a moron either. All right, that's just being real. We are to engage the Bible. And that mindset of That's the professional's job, not my job. That has existed in centuries and centuries in the church. The church has fought that mindset for a very, very long time. Prior to the 15th century Reformation, um, the Bible was primarily locked up in monasteries and churches uh, because it was written in language of Latin, and that was a foreign tongue to the uneducated masses. So the people, they had this mindset of the Bible is too complex. I cannot read it. I cannot divide it. I cannot comprehend it. So let me just let the priest tell me what it says. Well, enter in the perversion of what happened in the Catholic church. The, The Catholic priests began to twist and misuse the word of God for their own personal gain and for the demise of the people. Now, praise be to God, the 15th century reformation, the reformers broke against and broke free of the Catholic Church and said, listen, I hear what you're preaching. I understand the Latin and it's not right. It's wrong. And I want so bad, the Reformers wanted so bad for you, for me, people of all tribes and all tongues and all languages to be able to understand their own Bibles and read it for themselves. They fought so hard. They fought unto death. You're talking about... Tyndale, Huss, Calvin, Rogers, and many, many more. They fought so hard for you to have a Bible in your hands today that they actually were martyred for it. And the blood, the blood of those martyrs uh, was the seed that produced the fruit of you and I having a Bible in our hands today. And they fought. They fought for the idea that the Bible was Essentially clear enough for all people to be able to understand it. Not that the Bible was all clear, but essentially clear. Like there's there's complex things in the Bible. Let's all agree upon that. There are difficulties. But the reformer said it's essentially clear, meaning the essentials are clear enough for a child to be able to understand it. That's all of us. The Bible, in its simplest form, we know that it has one author. God Himself used 40 40 pen writers who wrote the scriptures, 40 of them. We have 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. It was written over three continents over 2,000 years, but yet it is just one story. It's one story. It's not a self help book, it's not a GPS for your life. It's not a resource guide. It's one single story, and it's all about Jesus. Genesis, Jesus. Exodus, Jesus. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, Revelation. It's all about Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's about God rescuing and redeeming people from all tongues and all languages of all the earth, reconciling them back to himself because they are sinners. In simple form, the Bible is this. God is good. We are bad and Jesus saves us. That's what the reformers fought for. So it is for all people to understand it is not for the spiritual elite people so I've given you clearly one big error and it's just the uselessness of the Bible the second great error is misuse of the Bible meaning we could be a people that are actually reading it but not comprehending that's a misuse or reading it taking things out of context misusing the Bible misusing the Bible is very dangerous all right Uh, You may have heard a story about this guy, and this might be actually you, so you can laugh about it a little bit if you find yourself doing this. He was a man who wanted to experience the will of God for his life, a magical revelation from God. God, show me something. I need to hear from you. I I I want to experience God. And he just decided he would get his Bible out, close his eyes, and he was just going to thumb through the Bible, and all of a sudden he's just going to point his finger in the middle of it, and God was going to have a word for him. This is called lucky dipping. Don't do this. It's not good. All right. So he, he lucky dips and puts his finger down and he lands on Galatians 5.12. I wish those who are upsetting you would go castrate themselves. That's funny. You can laugh at that. All right. It's funny. He's like, whoa, whoa, hold on now. That can't be right, Lord. Surely that's not where you want to take me. Let's try this again. Let me lucky dip again. And uh, he, he just does it again, closes his eyes. He puts his finger down and it says, go and do likewise. And he's like, oh God, who? Really? Lord, this, you're not telling me to go do this. I know this is a joke. Let's go the third time. Third time's a charm here. And he thumbs through it again and he just lands and it says, what you're going to do, go and do it quickly. <laughs> Ouch. That's what I'm saying on that deal. The point is this. Listen, it could be very dangerous to misuse the Bible. And that's all. That's, that sounds you know, funny and comical, but listen, I believe that sometimes we can do our Bibles that way. We can flippantly grab it, go through it, um, and just kind of wave it around like it's this magical wand thing. And it is very dangerous to do those things. So these two great errors of uselessness and misuse has done something in the church today. It is a great scandal in the church of 2019, and it is Christians without Christian minds. Christians without Christian minds. People who love Jesus. They come, attend church, they serve church, they worship, they sing, come carrying their Bibles underneath their arms, but they don't know their Bible. So therefore, they can't think like Christians. They don't have Christian minds. They don't have world, they, they, their worldview is shaped by the world, the secular mindset instead of the Bible. So what happens when things in the world begin to press in about abortion, sexuality, marriage, sexuality, uh, uh, marriage, divorce, uh, you just roll it all out. All of those things, they say things like, well, I believe this or I feel it's this or I think it's that way. They, they wander around because they don't know what the Bible says. They're tossed around by secular things, every wave of doctrine, because they don't have biblical convictions. And this is just, it's, it, we have to change this culture because what, it's, what it does is it produces Christians, immature Christians, literally people who love Jesus. They come to the faith, but they wallow around in spiritual adolescence for years and years and years because they don't study the scriptures. They play around and wait around in the kiddie pool of Christianity, despite that it's always warmer in the kiddie pool, if you know what I mean by that. They don't dive deep into the ocean of the scriptures, the depth of them, right? So I I want this to happen with our church. I have a desperate desire for you uh, and, and me in this is that we would grow out of babyhood and childhood, that we would become adults, disciplined, hungry, thirsty, zealous adults who grow in the likeness of Jesus, grow in holiness, and start to habitually read and study the scriptures. All right, so let me pray, and then we're going to get into the text. I know that was a longer intro than usual. Uh, Thank you for staying with me. We're going to let the Word do its thing. Let me pray. Father, we lift you up. We lift you very high today, and we thank you, Lord, that you have uh, chosen to reveal yourself in a very personal way, a way that the people of old would long to have the revelation that we have in our very hands. Thank you for showing us your character, your nature, your loves, your desires, the things you hate, the things you want us to do. God, create in us that appetite, that thirst. Compel in us to grow in the understanding of who you are. And we require you to do that, God. By your grace, would you do that in us? In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, go 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14 is where we're going to start. Uh, Let me set up some context. This book uh, is written by Paul. He's in prison. Most believe that this is his last letter that he wrote in the New Testament. And he's writing to a young male timid pastor named Timothy. And the culture in the church that Timothy is in, like many of the churches in the New Testament, were full of uh, persecution and also false teaching. All right, people were persecuting the Christians, and there was a lot of false heresy going on in the church. So he's writing to that guy here, and let's read what he says here in 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 18. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Now, he is encouraging Timothy to be a good soldier, to be bold, to stand firm against the persecution and the false teaching and telling him, hey, Timothy, your primary job as pastor of this church, man, is to present yourself as an unashamed workman, working for the approval of God and rightly handling the word of truth. Underline 15 in there because we're going to get to that in just a moment. But that's what he told him to do. He didn't say, hey, Timothy, man, I need you to really fill the seats up at this church. It's looking a little thin. There's some empty seats in there, man. Do what you got to do to put on an event. Get them there, man. I I need you to, as your primary thing, Timothy, I need you to make sure everyone at the church likes you, Timothy, I need you to do it all. Man, have everybody come to you, Timothy. You got to be the man, Timothy. It's not what he says. He says, what I need you to do, Timothy, is to stand up and be unashamed in your preaching of the word. Seek the approval of God and rightly handle the word. And I read that as a pastor and I'm like, all right, that's what he's called me to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I do for you. That's what I'm supposed to do for you. To stand up unashamed and preach the word of God to you, seeking the approval of God and not of man, to rightly handle the truth. That's what I do here. That's what I'm supposed to do. Not fill seats, not preach in such a way that everyone likes me, seeking the approval of man instead of the approval of God. Let's not make the mistake here, though, of saying, I'm not a pastor, I'm not male, and I'm not called to do these things that Timothy's called to do. This is the charge for all of us who possess the Scriptures, the word of truth in your hand. You all possess it. Whether you physically think so or not, you are rightly charged, just as Timothy is, to rightly handle the Word of God, to be unashamed to preach it, to teach it, unto the approval of God. This is not just a call for the clergy and the pastors. So let me say this up top. Listen, you, don't, you can't use deniability. You can't say, well, I didn't know it. You don't live in a foreign country, a tribe in the middle of the Congo, that says, I, I don't have the Scriptures, so therefore I can't be held accountable. You are now held accountable to the same thing that Timothy's being held accountable for. And here's how you have to be able to do this you cannot be ashamed of the Word of God. You can't be ashamed of it. And you will face persecution. Are you going to seek the approval of God, or are you going to shrink and settle for the approval of man? Are you going to rightly handle this thing, this Word, this book? as the sword that it's intended to be, you and I are called to do the same thing. Now, before we get into how to do that right and use our Bibles rightly, Paul is going to explain a couple of ways that we can misuse it first because there's a great, great danger in misusing the truth, all right? Um, And he does that in verse 14 and 16. Now, what he does here. He's telling Timothy, hey, I need you to teach those in your ministry that if they misuse the Bible, they can cause spiritual ruin to people. They can actually spoil people. It can lead them away from the truth. It can upset them, lead them into ungodliness and unholiness. He specifically names Hymenaeus and Philetus here. And he wants them to know and wants us to know there's strong consequences when we misuse our Bible. He says things like it upsets the faith of some. Now, he didn't just mean it, man, they're just kind of upset by your words, man. That's not what he means. He means upsetting in the way that you're in a boat and it's turned upside down and there's people drowning because you are misusing the Bible. The improper use of the Bible is clearly not an innocent, harmless activity. Think about yielding a sword, and you got a sword in your hand. If you are a Christian, and your Bible is your sword, and you can do great, great danger if you're just recklessly slinging that thing around. Or you can use it and yield it with precision and rightly handle that sword. So here's two ways Paul tells us that we can misuse the Bible. All right, dangerous ways that lead to people's ruin. They they twist them up. They lead them away from the faith. First thing he says is we can misuse the Bible when we use it for knowledge and not practice. All right, and what he's doing here, he's combating this idea of what is called Gnosticism. All right? He's got a couple of uh, Gnostics in the church. He names them Hymenaeus and Philetus. And what they do is, is they have a lot of knowledge about the Scriptures, but it doesn't lead to practice. That's what Gnosticism is. Fat heads, but it does not produce humility, and it does not produce holiness in the reader. And that is a great way for you and I both to misuse our Bibles. Filling our minds with the things of God, thinking that our intellectual assent, we can sit around and squabble with a reverent babble with people about non-gospel things and think we're higher and mightier than everybody else. Discussing things of end times and just constantly debating mysteries of the scriptures when there is no fruit, that we can actually ruin people if we do that. And there is a great, great danger for all of us. There's even a, a movement in the past 10 years of a younger generation of believers who are Gnostics. They fill themselves with knowledge of God, but they don't practice what they, what they believe and study. And it is a dangerous combination when you have knowledge and you have pride. We are people who study the scriptures and it should lead to holiness To humility and anytime it's not producing that in us and we're not using it for the benefit of other people we're being stingy christians gnostics here and there's a great warning behind that now clearly paul's not saying knowledge is bad so we shouldn't be a people that says hey i don't want to be like that guy i don't want to be like the jerk for jesus who knows a bunch of stuff but he lives horrible i'm not going to go study the deep things of god we shouldn't do that either We should study the things of God. We should study theology on our knees, and it should create humility and holiness in us. So let's not recoil from those things. Now let's go to the second one. The second misuse of the Bible is to use it for worldly gain. For worldly gain, meaning I'm going to study this, I'm going to read this because of what I can get out of it. Prosperity, if you will. Now, Paul here says that those who preach for worldly gain, he calls it irreverent babble. Meaning, today in our culture, the greatest form of irreverent babble is the prosperity preachers preaching a health and wealth gospel. You know what I'm talking about? Follow Jesus and your life will be healthy, wealthy, full of blessings, just all of these things. Paul says that stuff right there, it ruins people and it spreads like gangrene. You know how false teachers who preach that stuff, like it's easy to get a following with false teaching. If we wanted to, if I wanted to fill these seats up that I see empty, I promise you I could change the way I preach and I bet they'd be filled up in two weeks. I'd tell you how awesome it is. If you just give all your money to the church, your life is going to be awesome. If you just give your life to Jesus, you're going to get the car, uh, the family, the wife, the husband. Your life is going to be so prosperous if you would just follow Jesus. We'd probably have to move to four services here in about three weeks. It's easy to get false teachers a great following. Why do you think Joel Osteen has so many people at his church? Yeah, I said it. I care too much about you for you to subject yourself to heresy. Any kind of teaching that does not exalt Jesus and humble sinners is false teaching. You walk out of a Joel Osteen message, you feel you're awesome. You feel like you're the point, right? That's false teaching. You walk out of good sound doctrine and say, God, you are better than me. I'm weak, I'm humble, I'm undeserving. That's how you know if you're facing false teaching and sound doctrine. I love what Augustine says about this. He says, if you believe that what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, says not the gospel you believe, but yourself. So we read this, we study it. If we misuse it, we're looking at what we can personally get out of it: a godly or and worldly gain. And we need to read it with the perspective of godly gain. Not what we can get, but who we get. We get God. All right. Uh, so let's go to the verse 15. Because now I want we talked about the misuses. Okay. The negative things, the warnings, the dangers. Now let's move into how we do it rightly. All right. How do we do this properly? Let's look at 15 again. Verse 15. Do your best. To present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul's first charge here is to do your best. The Greek word here is spudazo, and it means this to be diligent, to be zealous in your pursuit of the study of God's word. Do your best be zealous. Does that describe most of our Bible study? Probably not. I think for uh, many Christians, I think it's probably more of a lazy approach, a flippant approach, an occasional approach. But when I look at that, I, I also look at my own Bible study. And If I'm supposed to be zealous and diligent, my own personal study is probably lacking. As I said, there's lazy ways that we can do this. We jump from passage to passage we lucky dip like I said we or we just do devotions only without reading the Word of God as the primary those will just leave you malnourished we are called to be a people who steadily feed on the Word of God as a primary means and everything else is vitamins and supplements can't feed on those will be malnourished so Here's where I want to go the rest of the time here. If you're a a type A or want to take some notes, these are just going to be some very, very practical things on how you uh, and I can engage in habitual study of the Scriptures. Okay? The first one is this. Pray first. All right? By the grace of God, we are saved. It is not a result of works, so that no man may boast. And it is only by the grace of God that you can even understand what's in the Bible. Remember when you were, you were an unbeliever and that stuff was gibberish to you? It was Greek. And then all of a sudden God saved you and then he illuminated the words. Now they begin to make sense. You were dependent on God to do that. You are still dependent on God to rightly illuminate and show you the meaning of scripture. Let's start there. Let's start on our knees and say, God help me to understand the things that I read. The second thing I, I wanna encourage you to do is to begin studying in the morning. To studying in the morning. Now, I I know for some, uh, the way your work schedule works, uh, maybe it doesn't allow you to study in the morning before you begin your day, but I'm going to uh, speak to the majority of people that I do believe that we can be a people that study in the morning. And I want to give you a couple of passages that would encourage us to do that as well. Uh, Lamentations three. 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Luke 21, 37 through 38 about our Lord. He says that every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged at the Mount of Olivet. And early in the morning, all of the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The people were coming early in the morning to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I promise you, their early in the morning was way earlier than our morning. Way earlier. They were so hungry, so desperate, so thirsty to sit at the feet of Jesus that they came to hear Jesus. Listen, you don't have to go to a place to hear Jesus. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to come to church to hear from Jesus. It's right in the Scriptures. And I believe that starting out your day in the morning with setting your course of the day with the Word is the best by far way to start your day. Think about the principle of giving for just a moment. Christian giving. We're told to do what with our giving? To give our first and to give our best to God. To tithe, right? Right? And we know what happens when we try to give God our leftovers, right? That's what he gets. He gets scraps at the end of the day. And many times there are no leftovers left because we've given those things to all these other things. Think about the translation of that into our reading. If we begin our day and say, I'll read later. Back end of the day, I got to do these things first. I'll read later. I'll give God the minutes of my day. I'll give him my leftovers, my scraps. What happens at the end of the day? They're all gone, right? There are no leftovers. Soccer practice, baseball practice. The kids need this. The house needs cleaning. Clothes need to be washed. I got to run here. got to run there. At the end of the day, you're so exhausted, you've got nothing left to give, and, and, and Satan is like, yes, I did it again. They didn't read God today, and they win. Listen, That's exactly what's going to happen if you put it off to the end of the day. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Do you, after coffee, of course, probably, um, do you immediately grab your phone? Start scrolling through your phone, checking your text message, your Snapchat, your Instagram, Facebook. How many likes did I get on the picture I posted last night? Do you jump in the shower? Do you start to get the kids ready, dress them, get them ready, run around? You start cleaning the house. Maybe you got work, you start doing work around the house. There's all these things that aren't bad things, they're just not ultimate things. You know what I mean? Yes, your kids are are important. Yes, you should shower. Yes, you should shower, right? (laughs) But those are not great things. The greatest thing that you must do every day is immerse yourself. In the word of God. So I'm encouraging you. Get up tomorrow. Set your alarm a little bit early. If you have to. Because no one in heaven ever said. I wish I hit my snooze button more often. It's all worth it. It will all. It will all produce fruit in your life. And it will be for your good in the day. So these are a couple of practical things. um, As we work through this. Here's a couple more. Um. The second thing that, that Paul calls us to do here um, is to handle it with skill. So in our, in our reading of the Scriptures, he uses the word rightly handle, which means with skill, with precision, cutting it straight. Um, you know, Paul was a tent maker and uh, he, he would use that language because he used to use precision and the right tools to cut it straight when he made the tents. And here, what he's basically saying is the study of scriptures, you have to have the right tools. You have to engage the Bible not as a DIY project that you're half you know what in it doing the whole time and just winging it around. No, you do it with the right tools, with precision and skill. So, I've got a few ways to give you, to help us on how to do that properly with tools. Let me say this first. I had a lady come up one time um, several months ago, and she came up after a sermon, and we were talking about the Word and encouraging people to get in the Word, that kind of thing. She comes up, she says, hey, when's the next Bible study? When's the next women's Bible study here? Because I really just need to get back in the Word. And my heart broke. Here was a lady that thought that it was dependent upon the church organizing an event with Bible study before she could engage her word. And listen, we've got to break that mindset. This word is available for you. People died so that you would get up every morning and be able to read the scriptures for yourself. And you are not dependent upon the organization of the church to manufacture events for you to do that. You personally worship and feed in your your own word at home. And then when we do Bible studies, and then when we do classes, we come together, and we encourage, and we admonish one another, we sharpen one another like iron, right? But we don't sit around and don't study and wait for the church to do it for us. We have to change that culture. The second thing I would tell you is to handle your Bible like a mine instead of a museum. When you get into the scriptures, uh, it, you can often look at it like the museum, right? It's such big, it's huge, you, 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 you just kind of scan over it, it's so massive. Uh, I went to the Creation Museum a few months ago, and that's what I did. I walked through it, and it's so big, it's so huge, that you can't really, really stop in one area and really dig into one specific thing. You're seeing a 50,000-foot view, and that's not a good view, When we're reading our Bibles, we need to read our Bibles as miners and not as museum goers. We need to be able to stop, pause, slowly, get out of pit, get out of shovel, and dig for the deep things because the deep things is where we find gold, life-giving gold, a balm for every single sore and every wound in our life. Hurts, pains, sufferings, joy in those things. It takes time, it takes work, it takes labor to pick up our shovel and our, our, our picks to get down and dig for the deep things. So let's read our Bibles as miners and not museum goers. Here's another quickful, uh, quick helpful tip here. Um, you ever heard the concept of cat and dog theology before? Uh, there's this idea amongst cats and, and dogs, and cats are, are, are like this. Cats are, um, they're evil, they are, uh, they're selfish, and they're evil. <laughs> okay, here, so here's why. They literally think that humans exist to please them. That master is there to serve me, right? I'm the master. What is in it for me? That's the mind of a cat, right? And some people study their Bibles like a cat. What's in it for me? We don't want to read our Bibles like cats. We want to read it like dogs because dogs are friendly, great pets. And they say, what can I do for you, Master? I'm here to serve you and please you, right? We need to study like dogs. All right, there you go. There's the takeaway from there. Uh, A couple of these are things I told you last week. Uh, I want to encourage you to read to comprehension, not to completion. Uh, The Bible is not a race. There are no trophies. If you complete 40 chapters in a day, like God's not saying uber blessings for that guy. I'll withhold the blessings for the one who only got through four chapters. That's not the way God works. Man, read to comprehension, not to completion, to check off. There's no speed. There's no race here. Here's another one. Lean on good resources. The right tool in your hand. All right, so let me say this. If you, have a, if you have a KJV Bible and you don't understand it, but you're toting it around because grandma gave it to you and someone told you a long time ago that it was the purest version of the Bible, but yet you still don't understand it, you don't comprehend it when you read it, do yourself a favor and gettest thou a different version get one that you can read. Now, listen, if you can read your KJV and you comprehend it, that's all good. I'm not saying don't do it. But man, if you're like me, I need some help sometimes in translating it into the language that I speak, which is English. Man, get another resource to help. I think grandma would want you to understand your Bible more than just being traditional. I do. You can still have that Bible. I'm not saying get rid of it. Just hear what I'm saying on that. There. But there's so many other good resources that you need to put in your hand. A good study Bible, an ESV study Bible, CSB study Bible, a new King James Version study Bible. There's all a lot of different versions that you need to put good tools in your hand that will help you comprehend the Scriptures. Uh, Another piece here. We've got apps on the LifePoint app, okay? Uh, I always want to point you and direct you to that because we have resources on the app, Bible reading plans. I, my hope that you would get up tomorrow morning if you're like, hey, I'm getting the charge. I'm going to go study tomorrow. Don't just pick up your Bible and say, where do I start? Go on the app. There's Bible reading plans, very strategic, methodical that will help you stay on course. Uh, you can get those through the Uversion app as well. But start out with a plan. Uh, that will help you be more disciplined in your study. Uh, another thing I would say is this. There's a, some of you read a lot of good Christian books. And there's a lot of good books about the Bible, a lot of good books about Jesus, but they are not meant to take the place of reading the book. All right? So if you, you like the short reads and you're reading all these cool books, that's great. But put those down if you're not reading the Bible as your primary source of feeding. They are to be done instead of. Listen to what J.I. Packer says about this idea. I want to set this up because I want to identify with you for just a moment because it's hard. It is hard to stay disciplined in the habit of studying the Scriptures. It's just difficult. I'm right there with you. And I want to tell you one of the biggest reasons it is difficult, all right, is because of what J.I. Packer says here about the devil. Listen to what he says. The devil is engaged against the Bible and hates every word in it. If I were the devil, my first aim would be to stop people from digging into the Bible. Knowing that it is the word of God, teaching men to know and love and serve God. I shall do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalent of pits, thorns, and man traps to frighten people off. Listen. Listen. That's what the devil is going to do in your life tomorrow. He's going to put pits, thorns, and man traps in your way to distract you from studying God, knowing God, loving God. Everything, the full assault of the devil is coming at you tomorrow. And he knows more scripture than we ever will. We don't defeat Satan by carrying our scripture, carrying our Bibles. We don't even defeat him by quoting the scriptures or quoting our Bibles. We defeat him by studying the scriptures and practicing the scriptures. And I just, like I said, I just encourage you that you would begin starting these things tomorrow. I'm gonna, I want to lead you through a response time I want to lead you through a response on how we would be able to do this. I think the first thing is, is would you call yourself an unashamed worker of God? Meaning you're just, you're completely unashamed of proclaiming the Bible to people in this world. Is that you? If it's not, this is confession time. I would ask you to ponder on if you are seeking the approval of man Or are you working for the approval of God? And then I would say, are you rightly handling the truth? Are you diligently handling it? Are you doing it with skill? Man, if you're like me, my answer is no. If I'm being honest with you, if I'm just to meditate on the word all day and all night, honey to my lips, love it with everything I've got, I fall short So what I do when I'm getting ready to do is to confess those things to the Lord. What are the things in my life that are keeping me from studying the Scriptures? I'm going to ask you to do that. And then I want you to turn to a place of repentance, meaning what are you going to do about it? What are you going to begin to do tomorrow, tonight, whenever you do? What are you going to begin to commit to, to start habitually worshiping through the study of the scriptures. Write it down. I'm going to do this plan. I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier than usual. This is what I'm going to do starting tomorrow. So I'm going to pray. um, And then you you are just going to sit where you're at to work through that the band will come up and they're just going to let y'all have that space and that time with the Lord and then when Brad leads us to the next step we'll do that let me pray for us father we have read your word it is cut through to us it's gut punching it's face punching it breaks our bones it shows us how uh, we are short of your glory Father, we admit as a people that there are times where we are ashamed that we do not proclaim your word. We shrink back for the approval of people. God, would you embolden us to move beyond that, that we would get that in the right order, that we would seek your approval and not be ashamed workers. God, I just pray that this would be a time of humility. Father, I pray for those that might be sitting here that do not think the Bible is important that think the Bible is boring that it's not vital for them God would you in this time would you wake them up would you put such a heavy burden and an uncomfortable grace in their belly that they cry out for you to save them Life is found in your word. Thank you for giving it to us in Jesus' precious name.